to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark chapter 5. We owe a lot to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They did great service for the Christian faith with their books. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they wrote from their own experiences, their own purposes in writing, and therefore each of them are a little different from one another. Each of them had opportunity to interview people. They were in the historical context of what was going on, and they provide invaluable information about Jesus Christ. Yet their books are not strictly biographical. They have reasons for setting the material together in a certain way, evidenced by the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke each deal with this particular incident that we're looking at this morning, but they do it just a little different way. Some say more than others. We're looking at the passage from Mark chapter 5, beginning at the end of verse 24, through verse 34. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Back in the mid-80s, a man named John Nesbitt came out with a book called Megatrend. Some of you may have read that. He is a futurist. He tried to look ahead and see how are things going to develop. And one of the things he said was this, our coming world will be high-tech, high-touch. Whenever new technology is introduced into society, there must be a counterbalancing human response, that is, high-touch, or the tech is rejected. We must learn to balance the material wonders of tech with the spiritual demands of our human nature. And possibly one of the results of what he had to say was the advertisement, quite popular. I think, think it had to do with the Yellow Pages. Reach out and touch someone. Reach out and touch with someone. Touch someone. Touch is perhaps the least considered, most, most intimate of our 
five senses. Now, we happen to be in a time in which it's difficult, impossible to touch people. In fact, you shouldn't touch people. Stay the six feet away from them or whatever. Nevertheless, touch is still a very important part of our body, an important sense. So we're going to be looking at touching this morning. We're also going to be looking at trusting as it relates to the touching. We begin at the end of verse 24, where we read that there was a great crowd following Jesus on this particular day and thronging around him. It is early in Christ's public ministry in Decapolis, which is an area to the east of the Jordan River, sort of between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. It's on the east side. That's where he was. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record this incident, testifying to its authenticity and its eyewitness testimony. And each has Jesus being interrupted with this incident from his attention on Jairus. Who was Jairus? Well, we read earlier that he was a man who came to Jesus in verse 23, one of the rulers of the synagogue. He said, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. There's some touching right there. So that she may be made well and live. So Jesus is on his way to deal with that matter, the matter of the daughter of Jairus who is dying. And it's at this point that he's interrupted by the incident of our text. Now, we emphasize the emphasis of the thronging crowd. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of people who tried to hear Jesus during his public ministry. And so we can imagine there was excitement, there were voices, there was movement, there was curiosity, for in their midst was Jesus of Nazareth, the well-known rabbi and helper and healer of disease, of those who were destitute, of those who were downtrodden in human misery. And so we have here, do we not, a picture of the human predicament. Verse 25, and there was a woman, we'll stop right there, in this crowd, in this throng, was this one particular woman that Mark takes our focus to. And she had a major health problem, to say the least. She was the victim of a chronic, bothersome, frightening illness of blood hemorrhaging that undoubtedly had made her quite weak and haggard, sapping, sapping her strength. Terrible, terrible situation. A very pathetic soul. Pathetic not only because of the disease, the problem, but because how people treated her. Many of them said, well, that must be the result that she had committed some great sins. Others would say, she cannot go into the synagogue. She cannot go into the temple. Others had to say, she can't marry. She's married. She has to be divorced. She probably had been ostracized from family society. But most important for our thoughts today, she could not touch anyone and nobody could touch her. She had gone to many physicians, we are told there in verse number 26. She had suffered much under many physicians. She spent all that she had, but she was no better, but rather grew worse. 
There are many people that have that problem, you know. They've had a certain chronic disease and they've gone to this doctor and that doctor and there seems to be no improvement, no answer, a medical mystery. And so is the case here back at the time of our text. Luke 8.33 puts it this way, she could, she could not be healed by anyone. And this had gone on for 12 long years. For 12 years, end of verse 25. That's doubly long when frightening a losing battle. It's interesting that Jairus' daughter at this time was 12 years of age. So she'd had this problem ever since this little girl had been born and grew up for 12 years. 12 years of misery, 12 years of pain, 12 years of loneliness. Again, a picture of the sorrow and despair of humanity, representing our trials, our fears, our moments of frustrations and pains. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. And especially what she had heard was his power to heal. How she picked up that information, we don't know. There's all kinds of reasons we could give how she learned that. Much of Jesus' earthly ministry was indeed taken up with healing. So she had opportunity, ample opportunity to hear about this. And she thought she had been seeking all kinds of other cures. Why not consider Jesus? Now, for chronological reasons, we're going to skip the last part of verse 27 for a moment. Go down to verse 28. How is she going to deal with her problem? How is she going to make some kind of contact with Jesus? Well, she said, and the Greek word means she kept saying over and over and over again. She said, if I touch even the of his garments, I will be made well. Now, she was not speaking to other people around her, this, but she was saying to herself over and over and over again, I am con convinced, I believe if I just touch his garments, little, I can't talk to him, he's a respected rabbi, who am I? But I think if I go and touch his garments, I will be healed. That was the trust that she had and what she was about to do. But she faced several challenges. First of all, she was weakened by her illness. There was the crush of the crown to deal with. How would she ever work her way through all these people to even get close to Jesus? Apparently, there was no one to help her. We're not told there was any particular friend helping her along. And of course, even getting somewhat close to Jesus was a no-no because of her condition. She couldn't just cry out for help to a respected rabbi. What possibly could she do? And so she came up with this answer to herself. I can at least get close enough, hopefully, to touch his garments, to touch his robe, his outer cloak. And I believe that if I could do just that, that little thing, I will be healed. So that's what she kept talking to herself over and over as she begins to move toward him. Now, back at the end of verse 27, 
I'll begin with the first verse, first part of it. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Very clever. Come up behind him, as it were, sort of sneak up on him so that he, she would not necessarily be seen, not very much noticed. So there she is. You see her moving toward Jesus, bouncing from one person to another, perhaps people saying, get out of my way, what are you doing? But she kept going and going and going. Matthew and Luke tell us she touched the fringe of his garment, which would be the lower part of the garment. Some have even speculated, possibly, because the Jews, the Jewish rabbis especially, in their robe, they have four blue tassels on the bottom to signify they were Jews, to separate them from other people, to let them know we're Jews. So it could be that she either touched the fringe or one of those tassels. But it's really remarkable what she does. She finally got close enough to Jesus Maybe she started to reach one time and got bounced back a little bit, pushed back. She reaches for it again. And finally, the moment came when she can finally reach out and touch just the fringe of that garment. We don't, she probably didn't touch it very much. Hit that, or one of the tassels, boom. And immediately, several things happen. And we're told that in the text. Immediately is one of Mark's favorite words, and it denotes that something very important is about to happen. Verse 20 time, 29, and immediately, the first thing that happened, the flow of blood dried up. Dr. Luke puts it this way, her discharge of blood ceased, just like that. The second thing that immediately happened she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. After 12 long years, suddenly she felt well. Now, I think we can identify with this a little bit. If we have had a touch of the flu or a bad cold or something like that, uh, we have a get, get a good night's rest, and we wake up some morning, and we get out of bed, and suddenly we realize, wow, I feel a lot better today. My fever's gone. My nose isn't so stuffed up. I'm feeling pretty good. So this is how this woman felt that day. She realized, I feel great. But something else happened immediately, and that was the reaction of Jesus. Verse 30. First of all, he perceived in himself the power had gone out from him. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the God-man. Truly God, remaining God, but truly human, fully human. And so just what this was and how it happened, I don't think anyone is really clear on that. All we know is that his intuition told him that something had happened Something went out of him. Some kind of strength, some kind of power had gone out from him. He had not sought it. He had not prepared for it. It just suddenly happened to him. Happened. 
Then immediately, Mark tells us in the middle of verse 30, immediately he turned about in the crowd. He suddenly stops if he was walking. And he starts to look, look around. But then the third thing that happens, he asks a question. And what a question it was. An unexpected, remarkable question. Who touched my garments? Matthew puts it this way, or Luke puts it this way. Who was it that touched me? We can narrow it down even a little bit more. Simply, who touched me? Quite a question. Because it was so unexpected, especially by the twelve, who I would say are referred to here in verse 32. Excuse me, verse 31. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Master, what kind of question is that? What do you mean? Who touched you? Look around. Look at all the people, all the warm bodies that have been jostling with you, including ourselves. Seems like a rather strange question to ask. We know from Luke that Peter was the spokesman here in verse 31. He's expressing bewilderment wonder on behalf of his fellow disciples, as well as many in the crowd who heard what Jesus had asked. He was puzzled, and for good reason, as I mentioned. It is thought that Mark received much of his information for his gospel from Peter. And so, as Luke tells us, Peter is the spokesman. And we can imagine that on the day that Mark was interviewing Peter about that incident, that Peter kind of went, sat back with a smile and reminisced about it. I'll never forget that day. We, we were shaking our heads and looking at one another. What was this all about? That master of us was fascinating beyond words. Each day was exciting, but what strange things he would do. And I remember we were so puzzled by that question, who touched me. Someone else was puzzled, even frustrated, even bothered. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, whose daughter was dying. And we can imagine when Jesus stopped and began to look around and asked that question, he said, Rabbi, you must hurry. My little girl is dying. We don't have time for this. But Jesus took the time for it. Verse 32, he looked around to see who had done it. The imperfect Greek tense is used there, meaning he kept looking around. He looked this way. He looked that way. Perhaps he repeated the question. Who who touched me? Who touched me? Why was he asking that question? I believe he was asking it because he desired to use this as a teaching opportunity about his kingdom and the importance of trusting in him for entering that kingdom. 
And at this moment, his concern was for that one person who had touched him with genuine trust. However strange the question was to the disciples, to the crowd, to Jairus, there was one person who was not puzzled at all because she knew who he was looking for, her. Think of what went through her thoughts as she was singled out by Jesus. And she knew that he knew who she was. So what did she do? Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, and that was good, she was healed, her blood flow had stopped, Nevertheless, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Here was a lady that was now physically healthy, but inward, she was still frustrated, terrified, frightened. She knew she had to come to Jesus, and to her credit, she comes and falls down before him, quite aware of her unworthiness to do this, would he rebuke her? Would he ridicule her? Would others in the crowd do those, those kinds of things? I don't think she was so much afraid of being punished as much as being shamed because of her unworthiness to come before someone like Jesus. But she comes and she tells him everything. Luke says she did it in the presence of all the people. So she told Jesus about her previous physical condition. She would have told him about her outcast situation. I can't touch anybody. Nobody can touch me. I can't have a normal life. She told him about going to doctors, how she had lost virtually all of her wealth. She cried out about her desperation. Indeed, that's what led her to come and touch him. She would have told him about hearing the reports. And undoubtedly, she told him about her plan to touch him. I didn't know what else to do. All I could do, Jesus, was to reach out and touch what I could. So I touch the fringe of your garment. How does Jesus respond? Verse 34. And he said to her, daughter. I think that's more than a mere term of endearment. It's a recognition of the new relation which he now sustained to her, he sustained to her as her Savior, her Lord her Redeemer, as one of his own spiritual seed. Isaiah said about the suffering servant who is to come, the Messiah, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall see his seed. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 10, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist 
in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. One of the great benefits of the gospel is that those who receive Jesus are now brought into the spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this poor soul on this day was received into that family of the Lord because of her trust in Him. There are several lessons about trust or faith that we can learn from what we have considered in these moments this morning. First of all, it's a great example of trust. We usually use the word faith. Faith, however, has three elements. Knowledge, conviction, trust. Trust is the third part of the faith process. If you're going to have faith in someone or something, you first have to know something about that person or that thing. And then you have to be convinced and convicted in your heart that that's true, that that person is dependable or the item is dependable. So far, so good. Knowledge and conviction. This woman had the knowledge. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She knew something about Jesus, who he claimed to be, who he was, what he claimed and what he did. And then she was greatly convinced in her heart that he could help her. Remember, she said over and over and over again that I believe that if I can just touch his garments, I'll be made well. But there's still one important thing missing. She had the knowledge, she had the conviction, but she had not yet fully developed and put into action the trust. But of course, she did that, didn't she? She fought her way through the crowd, and with that great faith and confidence in who Jesus was, she reached out and touched him. Daughter, your faith has made you well. That's what was the important thing. Ephesians 2, 8 very familiar verse to many of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that faith, is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so, one coming to Christ must first of all know something about Him, who He is, what He claimed to be. And be convinced that what the Bible reveals about Jesus is true, not only about Jesus, but about one's own sinful problem, the guilt of sin, and then comes the most important element, to act on that, to actually commit yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. So this lady is a good example of that. A second lesson we can learn about trust from this incident is the need for a public profession. If her action remains secret, If it had been a stolen blessing, as it were, she would remain separate from the twelve, from the crowd, and Jesus would have gone on his way to Jairus' home. That would have been that. But by making this public profession, 
she exhibited her trust, her faith was real and genuine. So Jesus was not seeking to get her to reveal herself to him, but he wanted to reveal himself fully to her and welcome him into his family. And she did that very, very publicly. She didn't say, Jesus, may I have a word with you? No, she came and followed down, and right, no matter who was hearing it, she told about who she was, her miserable condition, and how she had reached out in faith to Christ. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, public confession is done differently. Sometimes people will stand up in a group and say, I want to tell you about my, my conversion. I want you to tell about what Jesus did for me, and they individually confess that. Others did like we did a week or two ago, where we had those public confess their faith, asking the five questions and receiving the membership. But keep in mind, there are many places in the world today where if you confess outwardly, publicly, you're a Christian, you can suffer persecution and even death. So this is not a, as simple as it might seem, although in a way it is simple. This lady certainly gave a wonderful public profession. Another thing we learn about trust from this incident is the benefit of trust. Remember, she was healed, but she was still penniless. Friendlet didn't have any friends. Still excommunicated, disrespected by the society. So in one sense, she was very wonderfully healed, but she still was wretched at the same time. She still had to deal with these problems. And that's why Jesus goes on at the end of our text and says in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you, made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. The Hebrew word for peace, as many of you know, is shalom, which means the status of repose, of wholeness, of well-being because of a right relationship with the Lord. And I mentioned to you um, a while back in the, in the message, I tried to emphasize that despite the various problems we, we deal with and we live with, the true believer has deep in his or her heart an awareness of God's love for them and God's work in their lives and that God will bring glory to his name. God will somehow work all this out to his glory and to your benefit and to my benefit. That's the peace that this woman had. She had nothing else. She knew that Jesus loved her. And so he said after the words, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, you say, wait a minute, she already was healed of the disease. Was she not? Well, now he challenges her really to develop, to take care of herself physically, but to take care of herself spiritually in her future. A fourth and final benefit, a lesson here of trust, is the focus of trust. And I've already alluded to this a little bit, 
Weren't there others in that crowd that day who uh, needed healing? There certainly were. Some were there, maimed, crippled, suffering with pain, perhaps even in worse condition than this lady. Hadn't they been touching and bumping him and even trying to perhaps even touch him? That's probably true. But the thing is, they did not have saving touch, saving faith. They were quite interested. They were quite curious and hopeful. But only this one woman had that genuine, sincere belief, if I touch the hem of his garments, I will be healed. Today, many people throng about Jesus with curiosity, with interest, with respect, with a sense of adventure. Many people get involved with the church. They're interested in this Christianity business. They intellectually comprehend what the message of the gospel is, that Christ died for sinners, and all who put their trust in Him will be delivered, have their sins forgiven, and receive eternal life. They, they intellectually understand that. But they don't really touch Him with genuine trust. Thronging never saves anyone. It was St. Augustine who said, flesh presses, faith touches. Perhaps there are some even in this room or those who are watching on live stream or hearing my voice and you have not yet reached out the genuine trust and touched Jesus, committing yourself to Him. And I would urge you to do that. Reach out and touch the crucified, risen Lord of glory. And for those of you who have done that, remember that Somewhere along the line, you reached out by faith and gave your life over to Jesus Christ. And He is your Savior. He is your Lord. So whether you are an unbeliever or a believer, Jesus remains touchable. And whoever touches Him, He won't have to ask, Who touched me? He will know. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful that in your providence you enabled Mark to write these words. You've been able to reflect upon what you did with that woman long, a long time ago and the lessons that we can learn about trust. So we ask by your Holy Spirit you will build that trust, that faith to overcome our doubts and our questions. We might rest completely on what Jesus has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.